Welcome to LLP, the Lawyer Life Podcast, where the personal, professional, and political intersect. Each week, we cover a topic to help ourselves and other lawyers navigate our days with a little less stress and ideally a lot more fulfillment. On today's episode, we talk negotiation. We're asking ourselves, what makes a great negotiator? And are we bullies, boring, or buddies? I'm Mike Anderson. And I'm Darlene Tonelli. Hello, Darlene. I almost couldn't get through that intro. You're laughing. <laughs> well, you're, we've made up our own classification system. It's slightly less, uh, I don't know what the word is, awesome than the one that we read about in book club. Well, it's certainly... Or more awesome, depending who's talking about they, it. They, they both use alliteration, which is my favorite poetic device. Okay. What was it? Cleaners, closers, and... Uh, coolers. Coolers. Yes. So now we're going to the B. We're up okay. a level. Bullies borings which is what we don't like or buddies buddies okay so explain not your buddy pal why are we talking about negotiation uh because we do it all the time Mm Hmm. we feel we can add value somehow by talking about the things that we most admire in other people when they're negotiating the things we like to see and then also highlighting a couple of things that maybe we would like to uh, suggest that we avoid or what's yeah your, yeah, yeah. Okay. this is one of my favorite things that i get to do in in my job yeah it's like it's um it's problem solving mm-hmm. um and it's uh personal dynamics and it's academic and it's a bunch of like things i actually personally really enjoy flexing i enjoy flexing those muscles okay me too so what would you say is what's a what's a boring let's start there a boring mm-hmm. okay so and you tell me what you think i think a boring is like just standard down the middle negotiation approach where you take a look at the merits of the uh of the issue there is no like persona element it's just two people working on a thing to try to get it done and sometimes that occurs because it's not that tough of a deal or the deal doesn't merit real like adversarial relationships or even isn't long enough that you could strike up a, a relationship. It's transactional. Or you get in, you get out. side cares. Yeah, that's, that's true. Right. That's yeah. kind of the, when you really can feel that boring vibe, that's because neither side is particularly <laughs> vested. It's just their job to be there and negotiate the solution. Okay. And and what do you think about the boring scenario? Is that all that bad? It's not bad. I mean, it's not, we talk a lot on this podcast about loving your job and doing the things that, you know, being in a role that makes you feel like you care about the outcome. So, um, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't idealize the, uh, the boringness, but you know, it has its place. Yeah. Let's go to the other ones. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, you want to talk buddies or bullies? Buddies. Buddies. This is my favorite. Okay. I like this I'm one. not surprised. Yes. <laughs> this is, I, I, so, but the, the buddy type negotiation is, I think, typically occurs when you have or are able to quickly strike a relationship with the other side. Right. Um, and I think it's a, a very good situation to be in because having a relationship where uh, you both are on the same level of reasonableness um, and you both, uh, are looking for a good result and are willing to find kind of like secret hidden bits of value, um, and are able to go there cause you're able to have that conversation. I think that you wind up having a good, you're more likely to have a good result for both sides. Um, yeah. would you say that's win-win negotiating? Oh, <laughs> then I'm going to 
<laughs> I would love to hear your thoughts on win-win. But yeah, that would be an example of that. I mean, that, I think that would, the, the buddy type negotiation approach, I think would be most likely to get you to a win-win. What do you think? In law school, the book was called Getting to Yes. Yeah, I, I remember, right? Yeah, I think yeah. everyone read that book. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it's overplayed in that not every negotiating situation is a win-win, mm-hmm. right? There are some where the, the right result is for one side to just win and the other side to lose. That is sometimes the right thing. But sometimes if, if you are the side that is destined to lose... And that's the baseline. Like if you understand that this right. is not, we don't have the leverage or we don't have the merits. Sometimes you can you win. You get a win. Yes. On the basis that you're likely to lose. So, so for example, if you know you're going to have to pay something, maybe you pay less. Or maybe you get to pay over a longer duration or these sort of pieces, which would be small wins. Right. So you're so positive. You're like, it's not a loss. It's a win because it's slightly improved. Because well, it's all relative. Yes, it's relative. Okay, that's good. Um, I think that makes sense. I like I liked the idea of win-win. I like the idea of getting to yes. And I like the idea that there is, it's not a zero-sum game, generally, mm-hmm. almost always. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I cannot think of very many negotiations where it's zero-sum, where... Um, meaning, you know, what's good for one side is automatically bad for the other side. I don't even know that that's true. I mean, even now, we're seeing a lot of commercial negotiations, or I see a lot of commercial negotiations. And there are some parties that just sort of lay down the law and they say, this is our deal, take it or leave it. I don't know. I mean, maybe you win a couple times, but what's the cost of not doing the deal all the times that someone leaves it? Mm -hmm. You know, like, and what's the cost of never getting... A deal that both parties think is good. I think there's a cost to that. I know we've talked about that before on the podcast, but um, I think that we're coming out of an era where everyone felt that, you know, you leave a negotiation, you get everything you want, Mm -hmm. and that's a win. Mm -hmm. New era, I think, is we're figuring out as we go. uh, Things are less cut and dried than they used to be. It's not clear to me even that we always know what a win is when we go in. Sometimes I come out and I'm like, oh, yeah. that's actually a better solution for everybody. Yes. I wouldn't have thought of that had mm-hmm. we not established a buddy relationship, yeah. for example. Um, okay, so that makes and sense. It's, it's also about what, you're, what your business is and what you're trying to achieve. Right. And some businesses are focused on transactions. like, And it's not building long-term relationships or partnerships. And it's just, take this, here's the thing, take it or leave it. And if there is negotiation, it's probably a basic negotiation and done. If you're if you're in an industry uh, or or your focus is more on relationship building and longer term and so on, <clears throat> there's a there's a, like phrasing in sports like I'm a big baseball fan. They say it's a good baseball trade is when both sides wind up getting what they wanted. It just so happens that at one at the point where the trade was made, somebody's trying to win now, so they want that great player currently, and somebody's willing to take on prospects because they want to win in three or four years. Everybody wins. And so um, it, I suppose that's only a priority for folks if you actually care about dealing with the other Person side again. again. Right. Yeah. Okay, repeat business. All right, we're seeing some, uh, some good parameters here. What about the bully? Oh, look out. Define and then discuss. <sighs> Ah, man. So I would say that core to a bully is um, leveraging anything in their their disposal and over-leveraging it in some instances, not being fair or open or reasonable, not only unwilling to move from their points, but probably also overreaching into areas that, you know, they shouldn't even be uh, pushing for. I don't know. What do you think? 
the word bully is big in our society right now. You know, kids in school are taught a lot more about bullying than, than my generation was, for example. Um, you know, the president of the United States, he has the bully pulpit, which has always been called that, but right now, you know, maybe fits a bit better. Um, and then I think that in negotiation, you can usually identify a, a bully pretty early on by just yeah. looking at some of the traits in the schoolyard, you know, mm -hmm. like a, a standard negotiating tactic um, that sort of, I think, can show a bully um, in their element is to, you know, immediately pick off a weaker opponent, mm -hmm. you know, to kind of push around. That's just a basic bullying thing. Um, I think when you're dealing with a bully, it, it has to change the negotiation style of everybody else in the equation. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of the defining feature of a bully. I think if, if a person goes into a negotiation with someone that is demonstrating bullying tactics early on and doesn't change their strategy from buddy or even boring, frankly, and if it doesn't, then the bully wins. Mm -hmm. And that may or may not be the right result, probably the wrong result. Yeah. Okay. And that I, I find the tough thing when there is a bully in a negotiation is then all the stuff that people, I would say, stereotype about lawyers are getting involved in a legal process starts to rear its head. You know, drawn out timelines, high costs, you know, um, maybe mistreatment of folks. It's these sort of things that come into play that it almost winds up in some ways, to start to be about the game of negotiation, like mm -hmm. the game of negotiation and not about the actual negotiation. And that, it becomes inside baseball for lawyers and it's tough for clients who uh, ultimately want the thing to be resolved, um, the deal to get done, whatever you're working on. And then all of a sudden you're having to explain how this bully is over leveraging a process or another point um, unreasonably and having to deal with that first. And that's going to take weeks or whatever before you can actually get back to merits, um, you know, whatever the points are outstanding. So I, that's the thing that frustrates me about that scenario. And, and I suppose maybe it is called for uh, to, in some instances to be, you know, the overzealous advocate um, that, you know, maybe somebody is in this setting. But uh, the downside is I think that for especially the clients, it, it winds up becoming something unto itself. Well, it's interesting now in our in this day and age, too, as we say things are maybe changing. We do have such huge companies right now that control mm -hmm. so much land. And that's always been the case, right? Like it was just different companies in previous eras. Um, but there are people who have a real monopolistic position in that they're not a monopoly under the law maybe but they have a monopoly on something that other right. people need and there's no other way to deal with it than to deal with these parties mm -hmm. um though that's tough to negotiate against um i don't i've seen a couple of tactics that have worked and so far i think that you know if we go into like what we admire. I mean, I think all of these strategies have a place. Mm -hmm. I should be clear. I don't think that yeah. no one's, I mean, I should, with, with small exceptions, no one's a bully all the time. No one's a bully for every client all the time. Or if they are, uh, I don't see how that can be a good strategy. Unless you have a client and their strategy is bullying and that's what you're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. um, like Bob Ray mentioned in the podcast last week about using a lawyer as like a blunt tool. Yeah, a blunt instrument. I thought blunt that was so interesting that he yeah. said that because I think what he was saying 
you know, a small digression from negotiation, mm-hmm. but I, I have thought about it since last week. And I think what he was saying is that someone is basically using you for your law degree almost to say, here's what I want to accomplish, right. go get it done. Yes. And, you know, he's right about that, that that is something that could happen, I guess, in theory, um, particularly maybe in different areas of law or, I don't know, I guess it could But it, it certainly could make you into a bully because if you yeah. have a client who says, this is the result yeah. that I want no matter what, I'm only willing to pay X or I'm not willing to pay a cent, and then you wind up, that is your position. So yes. what is, you know, in that instance where you might otherwise want to be a buddy or whatever, um, you you do become the, the bully by nature of the instructions you've been given. And that is, we are always limited by the instructions we're given, right? Yes, but also part of the reason we're talking about this on the podcast is that we're looking at all these different pieces of being a lawyer and sort of how do we raise the bar oh <laughs> mike loves puns and i don't ever make puns oh my god that's so good that will come up over and over um can you find some cheering noises for that i have or... a sound effect from last week oh, yeah yeah we yeah. should just use that all the time um so you know if we're trying to raise the bar on our lawyerly skills i would like to see some of this stuff you know if your client says i want you to be as follows um I don't know. I guess we we do things for the client, but we also have to uh, maintain our professional Mm -hmm. standards and civility. Mm -hmm. um, Right. You know, the law society does enforce some standards of civility, but I think moreover, powerful clients can also really engender that in the lawyers that they choose. So, for Mm -hmm. example, I think I've mentioned before, I've dealt with one major company uh, many times in my life, and they have a very civil culture. They have very fair deals. They do not move from their deals. So they present a fair deal. I, as a you know person on the other side, understand that even though I have represented a large person, a large client on the other side, um, the fact that they present a fair contract right. in the first place right. makes my job a little bit easier because it's like, okay, well, I actually don't mind dealing with the other side because they're very civil. They tell me what the parameters are. Um, you know, we can move those parameters, but it's all done very civilly. Um, that's kind of the tone that I, I wish was just what people wanted. And I think that the more we talk about that as maybe a good that can achieve even better results than mm-hmm. the um, than the traditional style of like used car salesman negotiation, that to me would be a win for our profession. Like I saw a friend of mine uh, tweeted yesterday that, she was, she's a lawyer. She was in an elevator and someone told her a lawyer joke mm-hmm. and said something about lawyers having no heart. And she obviously being, she's a very feisty individual. She said, you know, lawyers do have a heart. Um, or you've just told lawyer, a lawyer joke to a lawyer, pardon me. And it was awkward. But I thought about it and I thought, ah, the, the awkward thing about it is like, maybe that's true because if, if we're asked to do things and in our position of advocate, we become sort of a an unpleasant, uncivil person mm-hmm. to be around, we make, we bring those things on ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. So the more people don't agree to do that in our profession, I think the better. Um, and this is, this is why we're talking about it in part. And there might be other reasons too. The tough thing, I, I'm trying to empathize with the bully. And I think a lot, especially I suppose if you, if you aren't given the express instructions from your client 
at, you know, as the one you're talking about, you know, be fair, but here are the parameters and, you know, we can move here and we can't. Um, if they're just like, get me the best deal, right? Um, then you're, you want to be leveraging as much as you can to do that you job well. Yeah. And you have to do it. Um, and so the, I think that the, the, the piece that we're missing here is there, you know, when we say bully, it, it, it is not the same as, as just advocating as, as best you can. It's, it's kind of in a, in a way that with bad will or with, in, with deception, um, tr- trying to do that uh, and leveraging tools that aren't um, transparent, authentic, fair. Well, and the assumption is we're going to get it. I think all of these types of negotiators can get a great deal, right? Mm-hmm. Like getting a great deal is the requirement. Yeah. I think what I take issue with is the assumption that unless you have this sort of thing that people have seen on TV that's right. how you do it that you're not going to be a good negotiator um, I think cultural differences play in even you know even American Canadian I can speak to from personal experience yeah. um, there are there are a number of things that play into a negotiation and I think the key is to as we become more diverse as a profession as we become more um, you know, women and men are more yeah. balanced in our profession. I think that there is room for so many styles. And I think that when I look at the number of people in my circle who are lawyers, their personality, their negotiating style, there is room for every lawyer too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if you're someone who in your day, if you, and I do have a, an associate, a friend who has this style there's a place for that because yeah. sometimes there's a matter that that person is best placed to to be the negotiator on. And I would say that their style is probably consistent all the time right. in the more bully, uh, bully spectrum, bully side of the spectrum. Um, but I think it's just the assumption that that's appropriate in all situations. It's not. Mm-hmm. Like that is clear to me from having been in, in a number of negotiations that have ended more favorably because we were able to overcome that mm-hmm. by one of the parties. That's right. Right? So it's just like, this goes back to something key, which you and I talked about. So negotiation is barely taught at law school. Mm-hmm. This is crazy to me because every single area of law, whether you're a commercial lawyer like we are, or you're a litigator, you're negotiating. I mean, mm-hmm. litigators maybe have to only negotiate at different points um, but they're negotiating every day about motion timing and, yeah. you know, then they're settling, maybe they're mediating. And for, for me, I'm just still very shocked at how little energy is spent in law school on teaching the, the fundamentals. Generally speaking, we learned more about being an advocate for, for a client. Negotiating though, it's like people assume it's somehow instinctive for lawyers, which being married to another, uh, legally trained person I can say it is instinctive (laughs) you know and I think argumentative and uh, people who like to make their cases go to law school in the first place so there's some truth to that but why do we not learn it more and how can we so maybe what we should do at this point is to say okay what are some of the things that we have seen in negotiations that we think are really top level um, skills or attributes or what worked well and maybe something that didn't work well. Well, we've talked about before the trend, commercial negotiations of some lawyers now who are very clear about here's where I can, here's what I'm willing to negotiate and here's where I'm not. Yeah. And I don't think that that's a bully tactic 
necessarily, um, but it it very it, 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 hopefully it's reasonable what they're talking about. Um, I think that's fair. I think I think that being uh, upfront and transparent will only help um, the negotiation. What the I've dealt with um, that is that I think is negative and frustrating and doesn't serve anybody well <clears throat> is deception games. Um, constantly a moving target. Now that might be a strategy, but it's not one that I appreciate or or think drives a good result. Oh yes, I mean that's definitely I've seen that. Um, I really admire. I also actually admire when someone sets out the sort of uh, the goalposts at the beginning. Although there is some power in being the one setting the goalposts, right? For sure. Mm -hmm. So if you say the negotiation needs to happen within these parameters, you've already achieved some ground, right? Mm -hmm. In the negotiation. So that's, but it's still useful because, you know, it's up to the other side then to suss out, is that a real parameter? You know, right. or is it one that is conflicting with one of my own parameters? In which case we got to move these goalposts. Or, or sorry to cut you off, but if it is, if it is a, um, you know, the other side has a lot of heft and weight. Right. And if they're saying, I'm not going to move on this certain point, yes. and you know that's true, yep. and you know that that's incompatible with your client, yep. then no one's wasting their time, right? Yep. Like, then then it's like, if legitimately we can't agree on this fundamental piece, yep. maybe this is just isn't right, and then it's, at least it's done early. Right. Whereas if you get, there's no reason then to go through a month-long negotiation if this point, which seemed like it was in play, really isn't and things blow up you know knowing all the facts and being extremely well prepared is not always a winning strategy it's necessary Mm -hmm. it's table stakes so to properly negotiate you must know your Mm -hmm. file inside out backwards sideways obviously um well maybe not obviously obviously Obviously. Um, (laughs) hopefully we got that best case scenario And then, you know, what I have found, though, is that the bamboozle is a useful strategy for those less prepared and can actually, you can gain ground with it if the other side is not prepared for it. What do you mean by that? Well, in earlier in my career, I had a negotiation and this is, uh, you know, more than 10 years ago. So I feel comfortable talking about it in the abstract. Um, You know, I had a situation where the other side just never their responses were so out in left field and so not understanding the playing field that I kept revisiting my own position Mm. and saying, they're saying this and we're saying this. So maybe we should move a little bit towards them. And what I realized was they, we could have held Mm -hmm. our position um, and just said, you don't know what you're talking about. You need to go and get better prepared. Um, And I've, I've since the reason that I'm confident to say, I think this is a thing is that I've seen it in public negotiations that have played out. So yeah. if I'm reading about something in the press and I think, oh, there's that thing. There's the bamboozle. Um, don't respond to it. Uh-huh. Don't give in to it. Yeah. So it's the onus is on the bamboozler. <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's such a funny word to use, but we're using bees. So Not the bamboozle I guess the bamboozle is another uh, bee negotiating style. Uh, One to watch for, because the bamboozler is very hard to negotiate with, particularly if you're someone who, as most lawyers are, believe that the facts should Mm -hmm. be relevant. But I think in this increasing age of sort of uh, people saying whatever and uh, truth being hard to come by, Mm -hmm. if I don't understand what the other side is doing or where they're coming from, or how their responses address what I'm looking for. Yeah. I'm very comfortable now to say not following you. Yeah. you know, Explain like, this to me. 
talk me yeah, through it exactly. like I'm a four year old. I love movie, right? I love that moment. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, but I I respect it as a strategy in that it can be effective. Right. I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I would never want to be someone who you know people hired because I'm going to bamboozle people. That's not my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just to be aware of as a as a person who operates in good faith. You have to be aware when you've got a bully on your hands. You have to be aware of the bamboozler. And then you, you know, the underlying piece of all of this is just to, to try, you know, doing something as Bob Ray talked about last week. Like the, everyone has their moments where you think, oh, I probably shouldn't have said mm-hmm. that. Um, but I like when the other side thinks that was a good result for a yeah. client you know, or for her client yeah. and then comes back. So um, that doesn't happen, I don't think, if you're sort of uh, alienating everybody on the call with your uh, incivility. And it all ladders up, I think, you know, to close all this off, it, it, to not be the, the bully or to not conduct yourself in negotiations that you would not otherwise conduct yourself in your, the rest of your life. Um, you know, to be true to yourself in these settings will only mean you go home and you're a better pet owner spouse whatever yeah. uh parent pet owner, neighbor rosy thing i start with pet owner <laughs> you start with pet owner <laughs> but um yes. it, it just it it sets you up to to again live the life that you're satisfied and happy with and i think i would struggle if every day uh i had to conduct myself in a way that wasn't consistent with my values or principles or the way that i, I normally am uh, and so it's not only you know we're obviously driving for best result for the client first. We're, we're respecting the other side and we're making sure that we can, um, you know, to the extent we can have an amicable uh, relationship and deal, great. But then also that if we succeed on those two fronts, then we go home and we feel good about ourselves. Right. Right. We're congruent. We talked earlier on a podcast about being congruent between your work in the office, your life outside the office. I think the more, the more congruent we are, the better for everybody. So good. You did a great summary, as usual. Oh, thank That's you. good. Because um, it's all that I can keep in my brain. I okay. know. It works. So I suppose uh, we'll go to break, and then after this, we'll do our goods and grapes. The Lawyer Life Podcast is brought to you by Inter Alia Law, experienced legal counsel when and where you need us. To learn more about Inter Alia, visit the website at spelled I-N-T-E-R-A-L-I-A-Law.com. Thank you. Okay. And we're back. Hello. How was your uh, break? It was good. It was lengthy. <laughs> it was good. I'm excited to do Goods and Grapes. Okay. Do you- I'm really getting into the spirit of Goods and Grapes. I even thought of a, you know, I probably have to even cut back my grape today, but I'll actually you start because my good and gripe are, are mixed. My good. So I was at the uh, University of Toronto Law School this morning uh, to speak on a panel about uh, public interest and alternative type careers, which is great. But my good is that uh, it seems like, and I, again, I, I've been out of school for six years, five years, five and a half years. Um, 
schools, from what I can see from the few times I'm in them lately, have really picked up on the well-being piece. And so in the bathroom, there was a keep calm and reach out if you need help sign. Uh, or if you're stressed out. And, it, and I've seen um, on law school um, campuses, uh, student associations popping up that are focused on well-being uh, and on com- combating the mental health issues in the profession and addiction issues in the, in the profession. And so I just think it's a really great way to start off your career with that focus and that being um, something that uh, there, there's an invitation for that conversation. I, I, I can't recall that totally being the case when I was in school. And so it's nice to see that change. That's my good. That is good. Um, I have a good and a great. My good is algorithms on Netflix. And my great... <laughs> you already did an algorithm al- I good. I know, but I'm going to tie it in. <laughs> so my grape is algorithms on Netflix. And I'll also tie it to another discussion of Riverdale. So... Oh, no. I spoke a couple podcasts ago about I love Apple Music and yes. the For You yes. algorithm. This yes. is good. On Netflix, I really like their recommendations to me right mm-hmm. the cross sort of if you like this show you'll like that show that's cool what i am starting to be a little bit troubled by is that i try really hard and we have talked about this on the podcast too but i try really hard to sort of have a media diet of somewhat positive things and so when i started watching riverdale i thought this is a nice kind of throwback to the Archie comics. And I think that the interesting thing about the Netflix algorithm is that it tracks, I believe, what people are responding to in their created shows. And the reason I think this is mm-hmm. that if you watch this show, yeah, yeah. it's getting darker and darker and yeah. darker and yes. darker and more violent. Yeah. And more, um, they're all, I mean, Archie constantly is not wearing a shirt. Yeah. I feel like this must have like tested well on the algorithm or something because it's becoming ridiculous. Like Mm -hmm. it's the point where you're delivering the customer what they want, I guess. I feel like, and maybe this is just an accident. Maybe it's just, this is where the show was going to go. And I would love for someone to enlighten me on this because it just feels like, oh, you like this? Have more, have more, have more. And I just don't want that. (laughs) I want it to stay basic. And it's coming to the point where my gripe is that the stuff, Wait, that was not a grape? It was a grape, but my <laughs> grape is really at the end of if these algorithms are picking up on sort of the what's going on in society, yeah. that's a bad thing, yeah. I think, because I just am finding it very hard to find media that is not violent or explicit or, um, you know, that just is feel good. You know, we need, I want an escape from the yeah. political stuff that's happening. I would like some very mild, you know, what was the show back in the day? Like back in the day when you couldn't algorithmically test people's responses to your uh, content that you're making. You had the Wonder Years and Winnie Cooper and, you know, Fred Savage and the voiceover and Growing Pains, right? You have these sort of like, I just don't feel like we have that. Anyway, so that's my lengthy grape. So I think it's a grape that ties into, oh man, I just feel like in general, all we're getting especially from what we get from the U.S., is just like content that feeds the part of us that's the easiest to feed, but not the, we shouldn't all be nourishing that side of us. Like it's a lot of what is occurring, I feel like in the U.S. is um, appealing to not our better angels, but the other thing. Uh, And that's like eating cotton candy every day. Like it, 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 yeah, everybody loves cotton candy, but we need to be nourished. Um, And and so there's just a way where you see where, 
media is going and so on, like all the nourishing things are not being supported and the the quick cotton candy type things, that's where all the money is going to. It's Did you know Netflix even on the picture it, it, of the thing, it selects the certain image of a show for you? So like if we both look at the same movie on our Netflix profiles, I might have a picture of like, the female lead and you might have a picture of the male lead if Netflix thinks that will make us watch the show better. Interesting. You might have to take a picture of what you see on your Riverdale. My algorithm is so messed up because (laughs) we don't care enough about the and and so it's like, yeah, it's Peppa Pig beside Last Man on Earth beside whatever. Maybe I should do that. I don't know why it keeps feeding me all these things. I mean, I might usually all of my uh, things in the algorithm would be like music documentary. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have like six music documentaries. But yet when I scroll through just like one of the ones I just like, that's a show. Like I I don't mean to be this old person who's like, what on earth? Who wants to watch that? Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I would I would welcome just some more uh, innocence in our media. Yeah. It just seems to be going the way of the the dinosaur. So, <laughs> gripe. And as Mike says, I always bring in the heavy political topics. You're, but, I uh, gripe about toasters, and you gripe about. I don't feel societal trends. About small things. So that's much. what a gripe I feel is. Like about big things. Okay, we need to. You need to give me better we need details. To do gripe lessons. Okay, uh, <laughs> that's it, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Okay. Bye. That's it for this week's episode of LLP. Thanks to Inter Alia Law for presenting the podcast and to Nick Fowler for composing and performing our music. See our show notes for his website. Don't forget, we love feedback. Please comment in the review section or subscribe or like. We'd appreciate it greatly. That's it. Talk soon.